Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Hi Christchurch London, hope you're doing really well. Uh, we're in the second part of our new series uh, as we're focusing for the first time ever actually in Christchurch London life on one chapter for our series. In the past we've often taken biblical books, sometimes we've taken biblical characters, on many occasions we've taken biblical themes. But on this occasion our minds and our hearts kept getting taken back to Romans chapter 12 and we felt there'd be real benefit from us going through it verse by verse. It's certainly been a fantastic thing to do as we've been preparing for it. Trust it will be of as much benefit to us as a church as we start to emerge out of lockdown. I wonder whether you would uh, imagine please what it must have been like for the young Christians in the heart of the imperial city of Rome. Rome the most powerful city in the greatest empire that the world had ever known. The church, probably fairly small, young and largely poor, no doubt felt somewhat insignificant in the light of all this uh, power uh, that, that fueled this city. Not only might they have felt insignificant, but they had their own internal challenges as well. Uh, the Five years previous to this, the emperor had thrown all the Jews out of Rome. When they returned, about the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, uh, they, would, they found a Gentile church that had lost its sensitivities, lost its empathy to the Jews and to the things that matter particularly to them. And Paul actually spends quite a lot of the second half of the book of Romans writing to settle and to unify the church again. But they wouldn't have felt strong, not only in their context, but probably with each other either. Not only that, but the new emperor on the scene, Nero, uh, was a Christian hater. He was shortly to unleash the worst persecution that the church had known uh, up until that point in time. And the chill of that was already in the air. Some might have been able to sense it coming. It was enough, a grand city, internal divisions, fear of what was to come, to keep these Christians firmly shut away in their homes and out of action. And in a way, and I wanna draw a parallel here between the challenges which face us at this minute in time too. Very different, of course, 21st century London, 
post-pandemic world, at least uh, a pandemic that is fading in its power and uh, vitality uh, in our lives at this minute in time. But of course, many of us have found the last 18 months incredibly difficult. May not be an overstatement to say that all of us carry scars in one way or another. Many of us too would say we just feel tired. I've lost count of the number of conversations I've had where people have said I've had to really push myself to go out or to get back to doing relatively normal things again. And of course others of us are feeling the need to reset our lives, determined not to go back to the crazy busyness of life before the pandemic and trying to find our way to structuring a more healthy uh, uh, a life in which we will flourish all the more as a result. But of course the danger for us at this point in time might not be too different from that of the Romans. That we could just end up locking ourselves away, staying safe and forgetting that there is a bigger picture here too. Paul in this passage gives a key metaphor that seems to make all the difference to the Romans. If you think of that Roman church, small and insignificant, but history tells us it did grow and grow and grow. And if you think of one Christian city in the world today, it has to be Rome, where millions flock each year because of the Christian faith. And history tells us that this letter that Paul wrote and the encouragement and strength of the Romans was very important to them. I want to suggest that this key metaphor that Paul emphasises to the Romans at this point in time is also important to us. And it's the metaphor of a body. And Paul essentially is saying here that though your and my body is made up of different elements, I've got an eye and I've got a mouth and I've got a nose and they're all distinct. But it is because they're joined together that the human being is such an extraordinary creation and can do such extraordinary things. And Paul says in the same way, we are a spiritual body. And though we're not joined by a brain, we are joined by our relationships together and by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And I want to look at what it means to be the body this morning. And there's an assumption that Paul makes, which I just want to deal with before we get into the detail of the passage and the assumption is that this body meets together this body is glued together by its relationships and I want to just remind us at this point in time where for so many weeks of the last 18 months or 16 months for so many weeks we've done church at home I want to remind us that the church has always suffered when it has not met together in person. That historically, it's always got weak when it's ignored the gathered church. Now, there are exceptions to that during times of persecution or times of crisis like pandemic. Seems that the church is okay. But I just want to remind us at this point in time on the importance of us gathering together. Now, I understand that for some of us, for health reasons, we're just not ready to do that yet. And I'm not trying to push you. You stay connected as you are for as long as you need to. But I just want to talk more broadly and remind us the church thrives when it gathers together. And actually, it's important for us for a number of reasons. And firstly, because it helps shape the people that we become. It's easy to underestimate the power of habits. 
But the habit of weekly church going is a powerful one. Carving out the time, being able to worship together with God's people, sitting, listening to what is often great preaching, it all shapes our hearts and our lives. And of course, the reality is it's somewhat easier at times to do church at home. We can sort of just squeeze it in. We can get more done and do it whenever it's convenient for us. But I want to appeal to you for that not to become your habit as we get into, if you like, safer territory at this minute in time. But that you return to being together. Just as when the church in Acts, which had grown so fast, we're told in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12 that all the believers, all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's portico. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and they would have met in different homes around the city. He also talks about the fact that there are times when the whole church comes together because he knew that it had power to shape their lives. Not only does it have power to shape our lives, but it literally uh, binds us or bonds us together. And many of us have experienced this these last uh, few weeks. Uh, experts say uh, that when we are together in person, we communicate a huge amount of information to one another, not just verbally, but by our body language, the way that we catch each other's eyes and so on and so forth. However, when we are on Zoom, the amount of information that we're able to communicate is reduced by a thousand, by multiples of a thousand. Extraordinary amount. It's one of the reasons that Zoom makes us feel so tired is that it takes out context, it takes out emotion, it takes out the humanity out of communication. In fact, when we uh, communicate by tweet or by text or by Facebook post, uh, the amount of information goes down very radically all over again. There's one thing that I have been reminded more than any other during this pandemic, it is that we're meant to be together and it binds us together and it bonds us together. So being together in that weekly habit of worship not only uh, shapes our lives, but it binds us together uh, as people. And it also reminds us of the greater purpose that we're part of. Experts say that everyone needs one special relationship. They need someone who they can confide in honestly and deeply. Experts also say that we all need a community that we need a small group of people who we can share our lives with. But they also say that it's, we benefit greatly from being with a larger crowd that reminds us of our sense of purpose. That God has brought together this family, this group of men and women to work for the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of this city. And I found just recently being back in worship, it's just lifted my head. And I've been reminded of this amazing mission that God has called us to. But it doesn't just do us good too. I think it's good for the city and I think the city needs it. Out the other day with Philippa, we were just looking at this crowd of people on the South Bank. And I, I couldn't help but think that there was heartache in that crowd. Of course there was. There were those who were struggling with relationship breakdown. There were probably those who just lost their jobs. The others who were physically sick, others who were struggling with life-controlling habits of one sort or another. And it is for people like that 
that that the church exists. It's for people like that who need to be able to gather on a Sunday and find hope and find inspiration and find meaning and find life and find the presence of God. And so before we get to unpack this powerful, vivid metaphor together, I just want to remind us that this metaphor only works if we're together and if we're meeting together and the importance of it at this point in time. And this takes us now to the big metaphor. Paul's underlying point is the remarkable things uh, that we can do with our bodies when these different elements of them are all coordinated together. Take something uh, really simple. Say uh, uh, I see a strawberry uh, to be very seasonal for a minute and I reach out, I see it with my eye, I reach out with my hand, I taste with my mouth and I digest with my stomach. It's all so normal, we don't even think about it. But four really sophisticated elements, uh, all working together, do something which is really amazing, which take this beautiful fruit and allows it to nourish our body. And Paul says in the same way, these different elements, you and I, can pull off remarkable things when it comes to the work of Jesus in a city like Rome or a city like London. Uh, Today, of course, 21st century life, uh, websites seem to be a really important part of church life, at least letting people know that the church is around. But if you're going to do something uh, like a website, you need technical gifts. Somebody needs to have the skills to put it together. Someone else has got to have the way away with words to be able to put stuff on the website, which sounds winsome and attractive. Uh, when you get to that Sunday gathering, uh, it needs people with technical ability again, who can put speakers together and allow a large crowd to be able to hear clearly. It requires musicians with competence to be able to lead us. It requires worship leaders with real gifting to be able to sing. It requires those of us that love being with people to give them a warm welcome, those with a passion for prayer, to be praying for people afterwards, those of us with gifts of teaching, to speak, and so on and so forth. Those with gifts of hospitality to provide drinks and maybe snacks as well. And so it goes on. And so the whole body of Christ is involved. And that's just in the gathering together. If you like the breathing in as the church comes together on a Sunday. And then we have the breathing out as we scatter across the city. And those of us that love to share our faith get to do that, not just at Alpha, but get to do so in the workplace or in our streets and in our communities. Those of us who are motivated by compassion will be praying for the sick and will be serving on food bank. And those of us who care uh, for those in need will be part of our pastoral teams. And those who love discipling may be part of the new Launchpad course, which is helping people uh, not only to inquire about faith, but to grow in faith as, as a result. And so you see this whole uh, plethora of different people. And Paul's question here, the question that is in these few verses is essentially, and what is your and my contribution? And there's a whole lot of reasons why that's important. It's actually important for you and I to answer that question because we'll never really find fulfillment unless we're living out the person that God has made us to be. And that means understanding our part in the body. But also, and importantly, Paul makes it clear in another passage that the body will never be fully effective 
unless you play your role and I play mine. And he says there's no part that's too insignificant, there's no part that's too unimportant, that the body really works when every bit is firing and flying and understands its part. And it's the same for us. And so Paul then takes us on and says, well, if you're going to discover what your role is, there's a key attitude. And there's two key phrases that Paul uses as we uh, understand this attitude. And the first is, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And the second is, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Uh, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought is, of course, not only uh, to avoid just uh, overreach, uh, going for whatever we see as the coolest or the best role, uh, but maybe more importantly, it's thinking uh, that I don't need the rest of the body. Uh, I meet Christians all over London who seem to be living lives by themselves. And maybe they're afoot or they're ahead and they're sort of going around and they're being they're part of the body. But if they're not connected with others, they're only ever going to be a fraction of the effectiveness as well as the fraction of the satisfaction uh, of being part of a broader community. So Paul says, carry yourself essentially with humility. Be open to doing whatever is appropriate and I guess that's where sober judgment comes in. But sober judgment's got two elements to it. The sober judgment firstly says, acknowledge your strengths. Where are you really strong? What is it that you do? And it feels almost effortless. Sometimes our strengths are hard to spot because they seem so natural to us, but they're not natural to others. And we all have things where we really naturally excel. What are those things for you? You may wanna just jot two or three uh, things down that come to mind, or even one that comes to mind. Uh, but thinking in terms of sober judgment also means that we acknowledge our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. If the things that I know I can really excel at, there are other things which I know I'm really poor at. I praise God for the Christchurch London staff team and the other leaders around me and the different teams that I'm part of, because I, I know so clearly that there's so many things that I'm not good at. But there are others that are, and they pick them up and they run with them. And it makes us all get to serve more effectively as a result. So what are your strengths? Where are the things that you can really excel? What are the things that, to be honest, it's just not you? That too is sober judgment. I guess the other element of sober judgment is what time do you have available? Sometimes in our enthusiasm, we say, I wanna do this and I wanna do that and I wanna do the other. But of course, it's just unrealistic because our schedule's already overfilled. And so we have to make sure we've got the time too to be able to give ourselves to the things which, uh, which, which we're thinking about or which may come to mind. And then there's just this final important phrase where Paul says, according to the faith that has been distributed to you. What's he driving at there? Well, I wanna remind you that these are not just natural gifts. These are gifts given us by God. And therefore, they, the extent to which we're able to use them does require or depend on the faith that he gives us. Let me give you an example. Um, many years ago now, I was pastoring a church in Birmingham and it had got to the point where I needed to sit down with my co-leader and say, I'd felt that God had put in my heart that I was to move to London to start a new church, start Christ Church London. And I remember clearly as anything, sitting with my co-leader, we were sitting in my garden. I said to him, Adrian, I said, I feel like it's time 
for us to move to London. And I remember his response, and it was an amazing response. He rocked back in his chair, he laughed, and he said, well, he said, if it's time for you to go to London, you better get going, because we've got a job to do here in Birmingham, and we need to get on with that. And you know, I knew from what he said that he was saying, I've got faith to take this church on. It was almost like he grabbed the moment and he said, I'm going to rise to the challenge. And Adrian's been leading the church in Birmingham ever since. And he's done an absolutely fantastic job with it. And it has thrived and it has gone on and it's serving its community, seeing people come to faith, doing many wonderful things. But in the same way as we're thinking about what's our strength and our weaknesses, also I want to encourage you, have faith. For at this moment in time, for the sake of this city and for the sake of the church, we too need to rise and say, yes, I'm going to take that. I'm going to do that. So if there's a key assumption here, there's a key metaphor, there's a key attitude. The final thing is that there is a key action. And this key action is essentially use the gifts that you've got. And then this last part of the verses that we're looking at today, uh, Paul lists a number of gifts. It's not exhaustive. These are not all the gifts that there are. They're examples, though, of the gifts that God gives us. He starts with prophecy, that sense that we sometimes get that God is speaking to an individual or even the whole church. And many of us have found this incredibly helpful. Paul says, if you're going to prophesy, prophesy again with faith. Your ability to sense what God's saying grows in its detail, its accuracy and, your, and its scope as we grow in faith. So if you have the gift of prophecy, and we can all prophesy, we'll come back to that. But if you have the gift of prophecy, then look for opportunities, whether it's in your connect group, whether it's praying with others, whether it's in times of worship and prayer corporately in order to share and encourage people as a result. For others, Paul says, it's serving that ability to help behind the scenes, uh, making, uh, setting up often ministry for others. If you've got that team, then the production team or the tech team or hospitality team may well be the sort of role that you feel best in or working in that sort of setting in a connect group as well. And then there's teaching. So for those with a particular love for the Bible and the ability to explain what it means in such a way that it comes alive for others. And again, if you have a teaching gift, then use it in a connect group. Ask your connect group leader for an opportunity to be able to do that. Volunteer for the Launchpad team or look for uh, those who are new to faith, who you can help grow and disciple and teach the scriptures. In each of these first three that Paul lists, prophecy, service and teaching, uh, Paul finishes by essentially saying, if you're, doing, if you're serving, he says, then serve. If you're teaching, he says, then teach. He adds in, in a, as well, encouragement. If you can encourage others, then do it. He's just sort of making it really clear. If you've got these gifts, get on the playing field. And even where we feel tired at the moment, I want to suggest that as we connect with others deeply and as we use the very gifts that we're meant to live with and to be with and to flourish with, that will bring new energy to us. We can all encourage, but Paul says that the some who particularly have that gift, love that word, encourage, to literally put courage in somebody. And that can happen in any setting, on a Sunday in church, 
in the supermarket when you bump into friends as you're shopping or in the workplace uh, as well. But what a wonderful gift. We all need to be encouraged. Would you use your gifts and encourage others? And then Paul goes on. He says, if your gift is giving, then give generously. Well, we know that there are many who have that gift at Christchurch London. It's just an opportunity for me to acknowledge this extraordinary offering we've just had and to thank everyone who's contributed for your sacrificial love for Jesus, care for his church and commitment to this city uh, and the expression of trust in the leadership of the church as well. We're so grateful. Uh, and you have excelled uh, in the gift of giving. Paul says for those that lead, they should lead diligently. For those who know they can take people somewhere, they can give them a vision and take them, lead a connect group or lead a team. He says, don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do it ignoring the detail, but do it attentively, do it diligently. And he finishes by saying, and those who show mercy. And there's some of us who just naturally ooze compassion. Interestingly, Paul says, then do it cheerfully. Don't become so overcome with the needs of others that you constantly are mournful, uh, but uh, carry that compassion with a cheerful disposition as well. And so it's like he's charging, he's just looking, you know, you've got this gift, you've got that gift, you've got the other gift. Come on, he says, let's do them together. And of course, none of that is an excuse for not doing it. You know, uh, the, there's a gift of service, but there's times where we all need to serve. There's a gift of encouragement, but we all need to encourage. There's a gift of prophecy, but it's my conviction that all of us, from time to time at least, can prophesy. This is the critical metaphor that Paul wanted to put at the heart of the Roman church, uh, even in the midst of this huge, daunting imperial city, and he wants to put it in the heart of our lives at this point in time. Uh, leading us to ask the question, and so where can I play my part? Where are my strengths? Where can I excel? Where can I contribute and make a difference as we seek to work for the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of this city? We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.